0: Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. It startled me this week when I, in my research, was reading, and I discovered that every 35 seconds... A, di- a divorce is finalized every 35 seconds a divorce is finalized statistics have shown consistently over a period of time that half of marriages will end in divorce it is tempting and but i will not allow myself to do it when i am performing a wedding When that statistic will pop in my mind, and I will wonder, what about them? Are they going to make it? Or will they be another individual who will fall to that statistic? When you stop and think about that, 50% of marriages end in divorce. If we look at the amount of people that are here this morning, more than likely... Each and every one of you have been impacted by divorce. Either directly that you have gone through a divorce or indirectly that you know of someone who has been divorced. And when that occurs, it creates a great deal of angst. Not only among those two people, but also among their friends and family. If you have watched someone go through divorce, and if you especially knew them well as a family member or as a friend, you know what that feels like. You know that all of a sudden how you see them is different. Even if we don't want to, when we meet someone frequently we will meet them for the first time as a couple. Two partners together. And almost their identity, who they are, is that. They are seen as a, a married couple or partners who are living together in a committed relationship. And when that takes divorce takes place those two individuals who in many ways we have seen as one in our mind now we have to see them as two distinct individuals and that shifts the dynamics of how we interact with each other statistics again show over and over that if a couple who are attending a church are going through a divorce more than likely, both, and if not both, one of them, will leave the church. And it's not because they're not welcomed anymore, hopefully, but more than likely, it's because there's an awkwardness that now exists, not only for those that are going through the divorce, but also for the rest of the community Now, over time, we have seen the stigma around divorce begin to dissipate. Divorce is seen as less than ideal, but it is accepted in our society. But my question for us today is, does being a Christian make a difference in how we should see Divorce. Does being a Christian inform us? Does it provide any guidance when it comes to understanding divorce? And we could even focus it down more. Does the Bible, which Christians continue to see as a holy writing, And even though there may be diverse views of what the Bible means and what it stands for and how authoritative it is in our lives, there's still that basic core that we come back to. And what my question is, again, for us today, is does the Bible have anything to say for us? Now, for some Christians, the Bible is very informative. For some Christians, they believe that if you read the Bible, it will become very clear that there are only three reasons to be divorced. I call them the three A's. Adultery, abandonment, and abuse. Now, the adultery and the abandonment, you can find very clearly spoken about. But the abuse one, that isn't explicitly stated in the Bible. The closest individuals then will come is they will say that Genesis 2 says that the two shall become one flesh. And if you are abusing someone, then you cannot be truly one with them. But explicitly, the Bible never says, do not abuse your partner or do not abuse your spouse. It doesn't say it. So that's one particular way of looking at the Bible and divorce. The other one says, who cares? I mean, we, how many people actually read the Bible? So why should they care what it says about divorce? We're going to end up doing what we want anyways. But that, either one of those answers, they don't work for me. On the first side, I find those who see the Bible as very definitive, I find that their argument it doesn't hold water. And on the other side, for those who say, well, what the Bible said over 2,000 years ago is no longer applicable to us. It doesn't matter what it said back then. I find it really interesting that we might be quickly to just walk away from this writing that for centuries we have seen as being a holy writing something that we should take seriously. And so that's what I tried to do this last week. I tried to take the Bible seriously when it came to divorce. And I actually discovered something very interesting. And I found it insightful and actually, dare I say, exciting. And I want to share that with you this morning. First of all, the go-to text in the Hebrew Bible, or what we as Christians call the Old Testament, the go-to text is Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. Now, the translation that you see up on the screen, that translation is unique. You will not find it in any other translation because it was done by a scholar who looked at the Hebrew text and said, this is what I think is the best translation available to us and given the knowledge that we have about the Bible. But the majority of individuals will read the the interpretations, the translations that we have in our English-speaking Bibles. And that translation says the following, For I hate divorce, says the Lord God, the God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. Now, in my reading, when I saw this verse, and I looked at what other Christians had said about it, they don't talk about necessarily the context in which it's found, rather they focus on those three or four key words that say, God hates divorce. Then they tack onto that a scripture from Psalm that says, We are to hate what God hates. And if God hates divorce, then you and I need to hate divorce. And that seems pretty black and white. I may love you, I may care for you, but I will, because I love you and care for you, I will tell you that divorce is wrong and God hates it. But what's interesting is that in the book of Malachi, we come across some really difficult Hebrew, the original language that the Old Testament was written in. And it has left many individuals perplexed as to what that text is really saying. And if you look up on the screen, what you will notice is that this translation takes God out of the picture as God being the one who hates it, but instead it reads, for the one who hates and divorces. So this isn't necessarily, this translation would say, this isn't necessarily about God hating divorce. It's an indictment against those who hate and divorce. So which one's right? Does God hate divorce? Or is this verse talking about those who hate possibly their partner and end up divorcing? Well, here's the answer both. Both are just as viable. So to use Malachi chapter 2 as to resolve it and make it that black and white, ignores that this translation is just as viable as the one that says, God hates divorce. Now, the one that is very clear is the law that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 24. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, it makes quite clear why a person can be divorced. Says the following in verse 1 When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he found some indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. What Deuteronomy simply says is that if a man decides that his wife is no longer favored because she was found in some act of indecency, he can divorce her. And again, that would be so simple to take that. But that idea of indecency, it's really complex to understand. Literally, the closest we can understanding is that her nakedness is revealed. Well, what does that mean? And so the other thing that you'll find in Deuteronomy is that the man is the only one who can file for divorce. Only the man. That's it. And the other thing, if you read further on, it says that the other prohibition would be that if you were married to this woman and you decided for whatever reason that this individual would no longer be your spouse, you wrote her a certificate of divorce, gave it to her, she goes out, she marries another man, and that man either dies or they divorce, you can't remarry. You can't remarry the one you divorced. So if you want something very clear, Deuteronomy 24 tells us that's it. Ladies, according to Deuteronomy 24, you cannot divorce your husband. And Gentlemen, if you do divorce your wife, make sure you give her a certificate of divorce, which our government takes care of for us, and then... No matter what happens, you can't marry her again. That's what Deuteronomy tells us. It's that simple. But it's not. Because as we move on, and if we leave the Old Testament, these two references that we looked at, and we move into the New Testament, and we ask ourselves, what does Jesus say about divorce? For a lot of Christians, it's like, well, that was in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? What does Jesus say? It should be quite clear. It should be quite simple. But again, it's not. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 10, 11 and 12. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman has committed adultery. All right. So now, Jesus ups the ante. Used to be, you could divorce your wife, according to Deuteronomy, but you couldn't remarry her. That was the only restriction. Jesus comes along and says, oh, by the way, if you're going to divorce your wife, you can never remarry again, and if you do, you're committing adultery. But then this verse 12, it says, And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Look at the pronouns. Deuteronomy allows, does not allow for a woman to divorce. Jesus, in Mark chapter 10, says, Yeah, women can divorce their husbands too. So Jesus changes what Deuteronomy says and then adds to it this idea that if you remarry after divorce, you are committing adultery. Well, again, that looks pretty cut and dry right up there. But then let's go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. And again, notice up on the first half of that slide, notice what it says. Whoever divorces his wife except for indecency and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, in the first verse, Mark chapter 10, this is what apparently Jesus said. Now, in Matthew 19, this again is what Jesus says. But this verse does not allow for women to divorce their husbands. There's no mention of that. Only men have that right. And now there's a reason, there's an exception that appears in the text. And that exception is you can remarry, I mean, you cannot remarry, but you can divorce if Your partner has done an act of indecency, which goes back to Deuteronomy. So which one was it? Did Jesus say what what we read in Mark, or did Jesus say what we read in Matthew? But then look at Luke. Luke comes along and says, every man who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and whoever marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. So if you look at these three sayings, the question to me was, well, which one is Jesus's point of view? The most that I could say from looking at these three different Gospels Is that Jesus definitively says divorce and you marry someone who is divorced, you're committing adultery. Therefore, we might be able to surmise that Jesus was against divorce. Is that it? Because if we move on, we meet another character in the New Testament by the name of Paul. And Paul has his own view. So understand, you have the Old Testament view. Then you have the New Testament view as far as what Jesus says. And then you come to Paul, who lives 50, 60, 70 years after Jesus. And Paul says the following, To those who are married I command, rather not I, but the Lord, that a wife should not separate from her husband. You ready for this? But if she does separate, she should should remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a man should not send his wife away. It's almost as if Paul says, This is what Jesus said. But if you end up being divorced, and if you remarry, that's okay. There's no exceptions for a divorce. It's just said, if it happens. So, what does all of this mean today? What difference does it make? Do we even care what the Bible teaches on this? Does it matter? I think it does. And here's the reason why. This reason, I believe, was summarized and it agreed, it resonated with me after I looked at all these different texts when the writers, when Michael Coogan says the following. With regard to divorce... Scripture is an inadequate guide. When it comes to divorce, Scripture is inadequate. Why? Two reasons, the writer says. Number one, it is a patriarchal document throughout. And while we still have remnants of patriarchy in our culture today, we are not even close to where they were during the time of Jesus. So to take the text from the Old Testament and just bring it over into ours, it is ignoring that we were dealing with a different culture altogether. The second reason is the Bible is inconsistent. you read in the Old Testament, what Jesus says, what Paul says, they're all different. If you really stop and look at it, it's not as black and white as we would like it to be. But here's where the power of his quote is, Scripture also empowers individuals and communities who accepted as authoritative to move beyond it. Hear that? We are to move beyond the Bible. Why? Because that's what the individuals who wrote the Bible, that's what they did. Jesus, for example, Jesus, in his teaching, he rejects the teaching of Moses and the Torah. And then Paul goes, and he goes beyond what Jesus said. And then he says the following, believers through the ages, and especially in modern times, have selectively adopted, adapted, and even rejected what the Bible says about marriage and divorce. Well, we spend a lot of time looking at these texts. Why? I mean, why? If our conclusion is that what the Bible has to say to us today on divorce is irrelevant, why did we even take the time to look at this? Because we are Christians. And I don't care how liberal or progressive a church or their individuals within it are. As Christians, we acknowledge the Bible, but we don't stop there. We allow the Bible to teach us how to read it. And what we find with regard to this subject on divorce is really interesting in the simple fact that you can't rely on the Bible to give you a simple black-and-white answer when it comes to divorce. And the reality that is true in many different areas that we bring to the Bible. It's so easy to be able to look at the Bible and say, this is what we do, this is what we don't do. But that's not the way the Bible is. So if the Bible has nothing to say to us, what do we do? when we have family or friends going through a divorce, what do we do? I would offer you three suggestions. Number one, be present. Be present and listen. It's so easy when you hear someone who's hurting to want to fix it. If they would just do this, everything will be okay. When someone's going through a divorce, when someone is seeing this major transition in their lives, they don't need us to give them advice. They need us to be present, and to listen and not judge them. Second, help when you are able and have the ability to help them. Not only do individuals face the emotional turmoil of losing something that was important to them at one time in their life. Not only are they losing that, but the majority of individuals who are going through divorce are struggling financially. Their children are struggling. They are dealing with a sense of shame, where before they had two individuals working together in the house, Raising perhaps the children, taking care of all the different responsibilities that come from having a home, now all of a sudden that's down to one. And so if you have the ability to help someone, help them. Offer to help them. No strings attached. And then finally, number three. Be mindful of how you are feeling. A lot of times when we experience someone that we love and care for, especially when they're family, it creates a lot of emotional angst for us. And because we feel that and it's uncomfortable for us, we tend to ignore it and take and try to fix their problems, try to maybe make them realize it's not as bad as you picture it to be because if it is as bad, that makes me feel awful. Realize that your feelings as you have family and friends going through this, what you are feeling is legitimate and it's real. But it's your feelings, not theirs. So if you can make that demarcation, then by doing that, you are truly able to help them. Why didn't the Bible say this? Well, we've learned a lot over 2,000 years about life, about marriage, and about divorce. It doesn't mean we throw the Bible away. It simply means that we acknowledge what is there to help us, to guide us, but then we also have to look at where we are today, and we have to make a choice on what is best. Because that's what they did back then. You know, it's a lot easier if you can see life as black and white. Tons easier. You do this, you don't do that. But that's not life. Life has a lot of gray in it. And that's why we need each other. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online-giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.